This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Is probably going to the Buffalo Sabres, and we'll get to that soon. But first of all, thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, I'm Elon. This is my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot, the forecasting fanatic, the rotisserie robot, the poobah of prognostication, Brian Calm. It's a good thing I ate already. A rotisserie robot would have made me kind of hungry. That's a new one. Hello, everybody. My name is Brian, as Elon said, and uh, I am I'm feeling the playoff high, like just the buzz of watching a high quality, exciting game night after night. The playoffs have really not at all been disappointing, except for headshots and dangerous plays. But I, we've, we've been talking about that over on the patron Facebook group. Uh, I'm really pumped to talk about what we've seen in the playoffs so far. And for the first time in a couple episodes, we're going to start looking ahead to the 2018-19 season, digging into some numbers to look ahead. Uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I am very excited for this show. We've had some fun over the last two episodes, and now we're going to get in. Like you said, digging into some numbers. We're going to frame it around the playoffs, but a lot of questions have come up in my mind while watching these playoffs games and also the stats, of course, of like, oh, how does this affect how we should rank these players going to next year? So we'll get into all of that. Of course, one place where they're getting into all of that all year round is at DauberHockey.com. They've got new articles coming out every day. They've got all the tools still going. You can still check in-game line combinations like during the game for the playoffs. Very handy with their Frozen Pools tools. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. It is definitely a source. Also, there's articles there from Cam Robertson. He's been all over it. A guy who's been on our show a couple of times, one of our great patrons. So great job, Cam. Okay, Brian, let's get started. Before we get into playoffs, let's start with probably the number one fantasy hockey headline of the week, which is, of course, the draft. Lottery, which happened randomly in the middle of the San Jose Vegas. I think it was game three. Anyways, we got the draft, and here we go. Buffalo, first overall pick. Carolina's number two. We can go down the list actually a little bit later. I just want to focus on Buffalo for this episode, though, because I can't imagine they don't take Rasmus Stalin, right? Like, who needs D more than the Buffalo Sabres? There aren't many teams, right? They're so shallow. They're like Rasmus Stalin in place 30 minutes a game, it feels like every single game, just because they have no one else to take those minutes. And now they're going to get the Super League guy, Dalin. I'm going to read to you, actually, Cameron Robinson's draft rankings post from Dabra Prospects. He had a little blurb talking about Dalin. He said, we haven't seen a draft-eligible defender with this level of upside since Drew Doughty. 
Dalian's ceiling is even higher. Effortless skating mixed with size, smarts, and dangles that would make Pavel Datsuk nod in approval. He's the entire package on all the tools to become a game-changing pillar for an organization. So, wow, high praise for Dalian from Cam. And, of course, the main question that we've been getting from listeners for, like, tweets uh, on Facebook is what's now going to happen with Rasmus Ristolainen? What does this mean for Ristolainen's fantasy value? Ristolainen had 41 points in 73 games last year, which is a 46-point pace. Over half of those points, 23 of those 41 points came on the power play so that's clearly where his bread is buttered but you know i feel like the full season numbers for ristolainen last year don't really tell the whole story he had a very rough start but he really picked things up for the second half he actually had a 56 point pace starting in january 30 points in 44 games so you know he had 45 points the year before and then this jekyll and hyde season last year like before buffalo got this first overall pick i was planning on asking you like what's the real rasmus ristolainen the 45 ish point guy that he seems to have been for the last years if you look at overall numbers or the 55 point guy that he was at the end of last year once you know the sabers got a little healthy and they started scoring some goals and now though everything becomes a little bit more complicated with dalene in the picture so brian i'm very curious to know what is your take right now we'll get into dalene himself maybe on another show unless you want to talk about him you know maybe we'll bring cam on to talk about prospects but i want to focus on ristolainen which ristolainen do you think is the real one from last year first half or second half and do you think his value is helped or hurt from Dalian entering the picture. Like, obviously, losing top power play would be a huge hit, considering half of his points were on the power play, but do we even think that's going to happen? Yeah, that's the big question, isn't it? The, the first most obvious impact of Rasmus Dalin joining Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo is that whenever someone says the name Rasmus, Ristolainen might be turning around for nothing because they're talking to Dalin. But in terms of fantasy value, I'm going to say 45 points is probably the right amount for Ristolainen. I don't think, like you're asking, if first half cold or second half hot, Risto is the the real Ristolainen. I don't think he's capable of keeping up either of those chunky paces for an entire season, uh, cold or hot. One thing that affected Ristolainen last year was Buffalo finished 19th in the NHL in power play goals scored, uh, down 11 goals from the year prior, which was a piece of what was hurting Ristolainen's numbers during the cold times. But I'm also not necessarily saying that the Sabres are going to get all 11 goals back and now Risto's a candidate for 50 plus because of that. Because if you gave them those 11 goals back just this past year, that would have put the Sabres sixth in the league in power play goals scored, which certainly is not where their power play belongs. Uh, Their expected goals for on the power play was actually right around 47, 48 goals for both of the last two years, uh, which is the low end. Like that's what they had this past season, which was 11 fewer than the season before. So maybe the Sabres and Rissalainen all got a little lucky in their power play production back in 2016, 2017. As for how Rissalainen is actually going to be affected by Darlene, aside from the name confusion, I'm not sure how affected he's going to be. Uh, Let's take a look at recent impacts on incumbent power play one quarterbacks when a hot shot young defenseman enters the lineup. Not like there are any straight up equivalent scenarios like you said, Elon. Well, like Cam said, there hasn't been anyone with this offensive pedigree entering the draft and the NHL since maybe Drew Doughty. But we'll go with what we know from the last 10 years. So the only defenseman to get picked first overall in the last 10 entry drafts was Aaron Ekblad back in 2014. And he did not and still has not had much of an impact on the Florida power play situation. Brian Campbell was the guy back when Ekblad arrived in Florida. And Campbell remained the guy in Ekblad's rookie season. And they drew even in power play production in Ekblad's sophomore year. And that was a pretty low mark for both of them. Uh, Campbell had nine power play points on the year. Ekblad had eight. And no Panthers D-man had more than either one on the power play. So just a bad year from the blue line on that Panthers power play. 
And of course, Ekblad still hasn't risen to the top power play unit on a consistent basis with Keith Yandel holding down the role for the most part. Uh, so looking at other examples that may not fit in draft position because Ekblad was the only number one defenseman pick, but in terms of potential ability, uh, you have 2015's fifth overall pick, Noah Hannafin. He's still playing second fiddle to Justin Falk in Carolina. Colton Pareko hasn't displaced Alex Petrangelo. Shea Theodore couldn't make much headway on the Anaheim depth chart while he was there, nor could Hampus Lindholm. Charlie McAvoy doesn't seem about to supplant Tori Krug either. And that's sort of it. Like that That's the landscape. So if Darlene does supplant Ristolainen, he'll be the first guy to do it in a long time. You even look at other defensemen picked in the top five in the last 10 years who you're like, well, maybe did he do it? Did he do it? Adam Larson, Ryan Murray was picked second overall. Griffin Reinhardt, Morgan Riley, Seth Jones, Ole Uolevi. So there's a list where just two of those guys, Riley and Seth Jones, who have been picked in the top five in the NG draft, have eventually, not immediately, but eventually shown the chops to run a top power play unit. All that to say, there is not much precedent for a rookie defenseman with a high draft pedigree just coming in and being excellent gangbusters right off the top. Look at Victor Hedman who took some time to get to the point where he could dominate offensively. Uh, and of course, we waited for one reason or another, be it deployment or his own development. Even Eric Carlson took a year and a bit to get going. And I will throw out one more factor in the Ristolainen and Darlene situation. Uh, the top power play in Buffalo was Jack Eichel, Ryan O'Reilly, Sam Reinhardt, and Kyle Ocposo. So I don't think it's inconceivable that the Sabres at least consider rolling out both Ristolainen and Darlene on the top unit and see how that works if they think Darlene has something to offer them there. Of course, that is pure speculation. Yeah, and I would imagine the Sabres will try a bunch of different combinations on the top unit, see what is effective. I think Darlene should get a chance at least next year, but we'll have to see how he does. Like you say, it's really hard when you're making all these comparisons with other players because every situation is different. Actually, the one situation that jumped to my head, which you didn't bring up, was Provorov on Philly, right? Like going into this year, everyone was very concerned that Provorov was going to bump Ghost Bear from the top power play after Ghost Bear didn't have such a great year last year. Provorov was looking so good and, you know, he didn't do it. Like Ghost Bear, had a great season. Provorov was on the second unit, was a great player, but didn't bump him from the top power play. Again, who knows what's related and what's not, but I, I kind of am with you that I don't know if Ristolainen is going to get bumped from the top power play, at least next year. Like, I would still be happy to draft him, and I might even disagree with you a little bit about saying he has a 45-point ceiling. Like, I'm still waiting for the Sabres to have a full season with Jack Eichel healthy. I feel like that's going to make a big difference for their power play and for the points that they can get, so I'd love to see what impact that would have on their overall numbers, because a lot of what you're bringing up are like, you know, what he's done over the whole season, what the Sabres power play has done over the whole season, but that wasn't with Jack Eichel for more than like half the time. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm seeing people talk in the chat. By the way, you can join us in the chat every episode, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Uh, you know, people are saying that Ekblad isn't like, and I said this, Ekblad isn't a totally fair comparison because he hasn't been hyped the same way offensively that Darlene has. And going back to Drew Doughty, uh, Drew Doughty was not the guy in his rookie season. He had 27 points in 81 games. 16 of those did come on the power play, though. So he did uh, put in a significant amount of his contributions on the power play. Elon, do you know which defenseman on the LA Kings out uh, led the team in power play points from the blue line? Not in, not for all players, but led defensemen in LA in power play points. In Dowdy's rookie season? Yeah. Okay, I think I know it. I feel like this should be easy. Rob Blake. Really? Rob Blake? Oh, no, it wasn't Rob Blake. Oh, okay, then I don't know. It's a good guess. I I feel like he might have just been retired by that point. All right, so give it to me. Who was it? Kyle Quincy. 
What? I would have never guessed that. (laughs) (laughs) No, never. Kyle Quincy had 25 power play assists that year. Age 23 season. Good for him. Kyle Quincy. Where is he now, Brian? What team? Probably not. Uh... Okay, forget that. All right. One other thing I'll bring up about uh, Ristolina. I think here's one takeaway I think we could all agree with is I think Darlene entering the fray means that Ristolina won't have to play as many minutes. Like you'd hope, right? He was playing such big minutes and he hasn't been the greatest defensively. Like I know he gets a lot of flack for maybe not being a great overall player because of some defensive mistakes or whatever, but he's playing all those minutes because who else do the Sabres have? Now they have Darlene. And I think one thing that that could affect in fantasy might be his peripherals because Ristolina has been great for hits and blocks along with the points he gives you less time on ice is likely going to mean less hits and less blocks so that's something i would be watching out for as delene enters the lineup it'll be a lot of fun to see of course there could be a huge swerve and buffalo doesn't even take delene but i'd be very surprised if that happens brian are you ready to get into some playoff talk playoff talk playoff talk all right well i wrote this this morning i wrote the bruins are down three to one in their series against Tampa Bay. And it's not looking good with Krug injured and McAvoy seeming to be playing hurt. And I was right. It did not look good. It continued to not be good. The Bruins lost to the lightning three to one today and are eliminated from the playoffs. But even though they've gone out, there's still been uh, a couple of really great bright spots, mainly the top line, right? It's been so good. We have to talk about this line of Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak in 11 games. Pasternak has 20 points. Oh, that was before today, actually. So who got Buffalo, who got Boston's only goal here? Krejci from McAvoy and Bergeron on the power play. Okay, so nothing for Pasternak. So he ends with 20 points in 12 games. Marshawn, 17 points. Bergeron, 16 points in 12 games. So all three of them were fantastic. During the season, we documented Marshawn's amazing 85 points in 65 games quite thoroughly. We we also talked a lot about Bergeron, but I'm not sure we gave enough credit to David Pasternak. Like we've definitely said on the show, of course, that Pasternak is amazing, but have we really like dug into how amazing he is? Like he ended the season with 80 points in 82 games for his age 21 season. That is extremely impressive. A point per game guy playing all season long. You know, Brian, we've been doing this patron rankings with our patrons. So every day we do a vote on our patron only Facebook group where we vote over who's the next player in the ranking. It's been, I believe, 19 players ranked now. We're just about to rank number 20 today. So far, David Pasternak is not on the list. Neither is Bergeron, by the way. But I want to talk about Pasternak. Like, are people sleeping on David Pasternak at this point? He had 70 points in 75 games last year and then 80 points in 82 games this year. And now this amazing playoff run. I'm curious to know where you're placing him for next year. Like maybe now he's solidified himself as being a point per game guy. Or I know you, the fantasy hockey robot, you'll be able to look into his underlying numbers and see if you think that pace was sustainable. Like I feel like on one hand, you'd expect with Pasternak having such an amazing playoffs, typically players like that get overrated for next year. But like how much higher can you rate someone who's already probably like a top 20 guy but maybe he should be higher maybe he should be like a top 10 guy like i'm looking at our patron rankings we've got some like patrick kane another right winger he had 76 points in 82 games last year and he was ranked 13th by our patrons like i'm curious like who would you prefer between patrick kane and david pasternak as a comparable so i guess it all comes down to if you think pasternak is like a sure point per game guy with upside for more or if you think he's been overperforming so i'd love to hear your analysis yeah, like I'm I'm a little surprised that you like sure Pasternak has not been ranked in our patron rankings yet. I don't know that anyone is necessarily sleeping too hard on David Pasternak. Everybody knows he's amazing. I think the question you're asking is is he, is he a top 10, a top 15, a top 20, a top 25 guy? Like just trying to figure out exactly where he belongs. Is he a first rounder, second rounder, third rounder? Uh, Pasternak Certainly a top 2025 guy by most offensive measures this past season, but the picture is even better when you combine the last two years. If you look at the last two years, 2016, 
uh, through to the end of 2018 combined, Pasternak is ninth in all situations, goals per 60 minutes, eighth in all situations, points per 60 minutes, 10th in all situations, individual Corsi four per 60 minutes, aka shot attempts four per 60 minutes, and 15th in all situations, individual shots four per 60 minutes. So ninth, eighth, 10th, 15th, and this is in the league, including defensemen. So like Brent Burns is placing in some of these categories ahead of Pasternak and some centermen are too. So the value of him being a winger, being a forward and doing this is obviously going to make him a sought after commodity. What makes him an even more sought after commodity is that Pasternak is only turning 22 in a few weeks from now. So you can reasonably assume that this might just be the tip of the iceberg for what David Pasternak could do. If you wanted to be a spoil sport, what you could say is that Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand aren't getting any younger, but I'm not buying into that and how it's going to negatively impact Pasternak all that much. They are still amazing, and I'm not worried about that being anything to hold Pasternak back next season. If anything, it still helps him because it's still going to be one of the best lines in the NHL once again. As for Patrick Kane versus David Pasternak, which guy I'd want more on my fantasy team next year. I'm going to go David Pasternak. <gasps> so that may be in part due to my general distaste for owning Patrick Kane. I'd say it's objectively pretty close between them. Kane probably has the edge in shots on goal, uh, but Patrick Kane is also going to be 30 in November, playing with line mates of God knows what quality is Chicago continues to stumble through whatever phase they're in right now. So that's enough for me to tip it towards the younger guy, Pasternak, playing on one of the very best lines in the NHL. Maybe I will regret that. But uh, again, that sort of comes down to a personal thing. I'd rather cheer for David Pasternak. Wow. So you're all in on David Pasternak. Brian, I actually, my vote for today went to Jamie Ben with Pasternak still available. People in the chat room here are saying that I'm dumb, dumb, dumb. For Would you agree with the uh, people in the chat room here? Should I be switching my vote to Pasternak? I don't know if you're dumb, dumb, dumb. I don't know about Dallas at the moment, right? Like they just got a new head coach. Things are going to change again for, I guess, the second year now after Ken Hitchcock that tenure was brief so we'll see what happens to ben and sagan and i don't know spezza faxa yanmark whoever else ends up in dallas over the course of the offseason uh with that unknown still being unknown i don't know i kind of feel like pasternak is a better lock for 75 points yeah I mean, maybe i'll think about it or maybe i won't because this is just fake rankings for funds so i probably won't put too much effort into this vote but if uh pasternak doesn't go in today's vote then maybe i'll switch it to to him for the next one over jamie ben a lot of worthy contenders it's really exciting actually seeing how many great players there are that are going to still be available going in to you know, like rounds two and even round three of fantasy drafts next year we talked about it before so many players were like above 70 points this year and it's really exciting to see like you're it's going to be hard to go wrong in your drafts i guess you're going to be winning your drafts well unless you pick a goalie too early and they screw you over but lots of great players available okay so since we're on boston let's talk about jake debrus quickly he's having a really great playoffs i guess his playoffs is done now but he had a great one he had eight points in 12 games nothing though in his last three games before today and also nothing today but he was playing on line two with Krejci and rick nash seeing second unit power play time jake debrusque is also 21 years old just like pasternak and actually had a quietly decent regular season he had 43 points in 70 games which is good for a 50 point pace which often for us is right borderline for being worth holding in a lot of standard leagues so i'm curious brian is jake debrusque on your radar as someone who we expect to maybe improve for next year get up to like a 55 point pace maybe 60 or do you think that he's been overperforming and 50 is probably his peak 
I mean, I'm not sure I'm ready to chime in on what his peak is exactly, but DeBrusque has six goals on 17 shots in the playoffs. You still have to give him some kind of credit, even with a 35% shooting success rate for getting those six goals. It's not easy to accomplish that magnitude of goal scoring in the playoffs. So some, some mysterious, enigmatic kind of mix of deployment, talent, instinct, whatever. I think next year is the year we're going to figure out if he's a top six forward or a top nine guy instead. I'm not ready to jump to like 55 or 60 points. But if Jake Zabruis gets to stick with David Krejci for much of next year, uh, hangs on to his spot on the Boston depth chart, and there isn't a whole lot of competition, it seems reasonable that DeBrus could build upon what has certainly been a successful rookie season and at least approach closer to 50. Well, of course, it's always fun to check in on these young players. You know, I bet you it's fun to go back to our old episodes and see like what we said about someone like Pasternak after his first season. Like, oh, maybe he will be good for as uh, like a 60-point guy before, and now he like blows us all away. We'll see if we look bad about DeBrusque. Maybe the people who go to the games and see these young players, you know, you're talking about all these intangibles, this high shooting percentage, the mix of this and that. Maybe if you see DeBrusque play, you could have a better sense of how good he can be. And the one good way to go see him is to buy a ticket, go to the game, and why not use our sponsor for this episode, SeatGeek, to accomplish that very task that is right we are being sponsored by SeatGeek, which is the most convenient way to get tickets to sports games and concerts and anything else you want to go to you can just download the SeatGeek app it's also really fun to just browse like what's going on in my area tonight i do that sometimes like what should we do tonight honey and then we look around and say oh look we could go see a comedian at this place so you know it's a lot of fun plus you could be guaranteed you're gonna get great sites they're sourcing from lots of different places you could sort by a bunch of things including by value which i really like you know sort of my price is nice but I like to know, like, is this a good deal or is this not a good deal? So all of that and much more by using SeatGeek. And you could even get $20 off your first purchase if you're a listener of our podcast. Brian, I normally ask you to give that away, but I just realized I spoiled the big, like, tell our listeners how they could get an even bigger discount. Why don't you tell them how to get that $20? Yeah, my shtick is also to talk about how I like to browse SeatGeek. I download the app. I check out what's going on. I check out ticket prices and I see what a good deal looks like. And then I, uh, I finish the job. I do the, I do the deed right on the app. If I feel like I'm ready to go and I want to pay that much to see an event. If you aren't sure whether you want to pay however much to see an event, how about if you got $20 off your very first seat geek purchase, would that help you? If it would feel free to take them up on it. All you need to do is download the app, enter the promo code keeping to get $20 off your very first purchase with SeatGeek. What a deal. That is offer code keeping, as in keeping Carlson. And Brian, now let's go to the other side of that Tampa-Boston series, the team that's going to be moving forward to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the Tampa Bay Lightning. I want to touch on this line of Braden Point and Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson, but specifically about Point and Palat, who have both been great so far in the playoffs. Going into today, Point had nine points and Palat had eight points in nine games played. Point scored again today. So still a point per game in now through two rounds of the playoffs. Braden Point, man, he's so good. I'm curious, though, what do you think about him for next year he put up 40 points in 68 games in his rookie season and then Braden Point had 66 points in 82 games last year I know we talked all throughout the season about how well Point was doing in like you know small little packets you know oh he's done this many points in this many games but overall 66 points that's so impressive that's a lot higher than we expected from him going into the season 
did that 66 points look sustainable to you? Do we think he's going to go up from there? Because there's not much higher up to go. Like you hit 70 points, you hit 75. All of a sudden, you got a superstar on your hands. Is that what we have with Braden Point? So I'm curious. Like, is this a Pasternak situation from a couple of years ago? Going into drafts a couple of years ago, David Pasternak was falling to like the seventh, eighth round. He was a huge steal. Is this going to be the last chance to get Braden Point? Not in the first two, three rounds of fantasy. Is he a true star or is he overperforming? I'd love to hear your take on Braden Point. I don't think Pasternak ever fell so far after having a season in as good as Braden Point has had. And Braden Point also has had the better start to his career. His rookie year had Braden Point getting 40 points in 68 games, which translates to a Jake DeBrusque-like 48-point pace, which ain't too shabby for a rookie, especially who was not getting top deployment. And Braden Point has looked incredible in the playoffs so far, as, of course, the Canadian playoffs broadcast have repeated ad infinitum over the last several weeks. But they're also making Braden Point out to be some kind of revelation when we'd seen Point play at such a high level for like the entirety of the regular season, plus flashes of brilliance in that rookie season as well. One number that'll jump out at you when you look at Braden Point's stats is that he's shooting near 15% over his career that percentage comes on 400 regular season shots and 15 is kind of a high number for that but if point can keep up this shooting percentage over the course of another 200 shots or so so like this upcoming season that could make 15 percent a legitimate baseline for his shooting percentage rather than a number that you would be merited to think could be a little high uh, Braden point might have benefited from some on-ice shooting luck as well last year but if he did it wasn't by a ton. So I'm hopeful that Braden Point can be like the new triplet on that second line in Tampa now that Kucherov has graduated to the first line. We've seen Point and Palat and Tyler Johnson as well to maybe a lesser extent all click so well together through these first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, but you're asking if he can do any better than what he put up this past season. Braden Point is likely still going to be on the second line. Uh, and he really, last year, wasn't anything more than a stand-in on the top power play unit, which makes 70 points a pretty tough target to hit, even if he does continue playing this well every time he does take the ice. He just won't have the deployment, I don't think, to push his point totals that high. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like 66 points, like I said, that's a really impressive season. Even if you're saying you think he can do this again, that makes him worthy of maybe not being drafted in like the first two, three rounds, but at least, you know, four or five. You want to definitely get Braden Point off the board because he seems like a very reliable contributor to the Lightning and also to your fantasy team. Then we have uh, Palat, Andre Palat, who is, I think, very interesting. He's already 27 years old. We've seen a lot from him. Like We've seen many seasons. We have a lot of data to look at. He had 52 points in 75 games last year, which is pretty much a 60-point pace. If you look at his his stats year in, year out, he seems like pretty much a reliable 60-point guy, uh, you know, barring injury, which is the big problem with him, is Palat has had a lot of trouble staying healthy, but a 60-point guy, especially for a guy like Palat who hits, you know, he's really good for like over a hit per game, so if you're in a league that counts hits, Palat is a very viable guy in fantasy, and maybe if we think that Braden Point is like a superstar in the making, which I guess you downplayed a little bit, maybe he's not that that good, though it seems like mostly you were just concerned about his deployment, so I don't know, but playing with someone as good as Braden Point, I wonder if maybe he could be, and I'm not talking about Palat, a bit of an under-the-radar pick for having such a really good line mate to play with going into next year maybe he could break that 60 point pace and especially in if you're in a hits league he's going to help you in peripherals and he seems like a really solid bet with great deployment so barring you know concerns for injury i'm curious to know, like someone like palat how would you compare him to someone like let's say wayne simmons who's always been known as being a solid 60 65 point guy but 
gives you those hits and helps you in those peripherals, which makes him super valuable in leagues. I don't think Palat has ever been really considered in that echelon, but after Simmons had a down year and Palat had another solid season when he was healthy, I wonder if they're now in the same conversation. So I, I have a few points to to hit on here. First, for anyone worried about Palat's injury history, Palat missed 25 games this year, seven last year, 20 the year before, and seven the year before that. So take it to the bank that Andre Palat is only going to miss seven games this season. This year sure seemed disappointing with Palat dipping in and out of the lineup with injuries. But Elon, I'm not sure that we're looking at the same numbers. When you say he's been a reliable 60-point guy and this season was a really solid one for him, Palat only managed a 52-point pace this year, which is actually quite consistent with the two years prior where he's posted 57 and 53-point paces. He enters the 2018-19 campaign four and five years removed from his respective 63 and 59-point seasons. And I'd venture to say that those higher-end ones are less likely to be repeated than the more recent three in the 52 to 57-point range. Palat's individual numbers at even strength have been remarkably consistent over the best years and the not-as-good years, with the main fluctuation showing up at his on-ice shooting percentage. Higher in the years he was close to 60, lower in the years that he didn't quite get there. Uh, Palat's time on ice has also moved by 30 seconds in several directions in each of the last four seasons as his role gets tinkered with. And I imagine as he tried to play, like this year it seemed when he came back into the lineup a couple times, he wasn't quite ready. He wasn't 100%. Um, So maybe that had a bit to do with his change in uh, regular ice time this year. One place I would love to see Palat get some shifts back though is on the power play. At an average of two minutes and six seconds per game this season with the man advantage, Palat was down below any previous power play deployment outside of his rookie season. If Palat does get some of those power play shifts back, maybe he's got a shot at 60 again, but whether it does or doesn't, I'm pretty comfortable with him at 55. Though, Elon, like I, I can see where you're coming from. The temptation, based on this playoff performance and the emergence of Braden Point, yeah, you could take that swing for 60-plus points if you want to try and predict some future chemistry between Palat, Point, and Tyler Johnson. But you know I am not a huge projector on chemistry. And then I asked you for this comparison to Wayne Simmons, which you didn't give me, which is fair, but I'm going to push for it now because we have to talk about Simmons in that the news came out between uh, the last episode and now that Simmons was basically hurt all last year with so many injuries. He had a fractured ankle, a pulled groin, two mouth injuries, a torn ligament in his thumb, and a torn pelvis all throughout the season, which is insane. Like, how did this guy even play as many games as he did? Wayne Simmons played 75 games. No wonder he only had 46 points. So he becomes a really interesting guy to draft for for next year, assuming he has enough time to heal from all of this stuff that he's been dealing with. It was definitely an aberration for him to have such a bad season. So now going to next year, I guess both I'd love to ask you if you are liking Palat more than Simmons for a hits and points league. And also, like, what do you think about Simmons overall? Does this news affect your opinion of Simmons, the fact that he was injured for so, so long? The thing with Simmons is like you just have to throw this last season entirely out the window. We, we can't judge him based on playing with what one shoulder, one rotator cuff or ailments wasn't something with his hip. I feel like every part of his body was affected at one point or another, if not all at the same time. So it's really hard to make that call. I, I feel like I'd still want to lean towards Simmons, although, you know, Couturier and Konechny emerging certainly means the Flyers have other options if they want to spread Simmons around elsewhere in their lineup. That said, you see guys like Yanni Gord and Anthony Sorelli emerging in Tampa, and you think, well, is Andre Palat even guaranteed to stay on the second line? The way he's playing, of course, that is blasphemy to even consider, but over an 82-game season, it certainly could happen. 
If I'm picking between the two, oh God, I am so stuck on this one just because we're, we're looking at a situation where there's just so many unknowns. Like we have Palat on the rise and Simmons just gave us a season that we can't trust any of his numbers from. I think I would probably lean to Simmons only because I could probably get Palat with my next pick after that. Oh, okay. That's one way to go. Yeah. Simmons, I think it depends a lot on if he's going to be able to stay on the top power play, or if like you say, he gets bumped by someone like Konechny or even Nolan Patrick, like lots of good names over in Philly that could potentially bump Simmons eventually. So we'll have to see, you know, speaking of announcements of players who were hurt, like all of last season, we got a bunch of them after their teams were eliminated from the playoffs. Simmons was not the only one. Before we look into some more specific instances, it sounds like you're saying, because I was going to ask, like, what do we do with these types of announcements? Like, do we then not count that season when we're coming up with projections? for next year is that a sign that we should expect the player to do better because we assume they're going to be healthy like how do you generally take this news because it comes out every year in the playoffs after a team finally gets eliminated oh yeah this guy was hurt like forever like he he clearly wasn't at his hundred percent well simmons seemed to be the extreme so like for him when i'm saying when i say i'm throwing that out that is like like that is a case where there were so many things bothering him since i think at training camp that Again, like none of the numbers seem valid or reliable for what Wayne Simmons can do as a healthy player. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that. Elon, I'm thinking back to Oliver Ekman Larson. At the end of 2016-17, uh, we'd found out after lamenting his shot totals all year and opining, speculating towards the end that maybe there was some hand injury that was bothering him. Sure enough, there was. So we looked at his numbers. He had 39 points in 79 games in 2016-17. And we said, okay, uh, well, some some people had him way up at like 50, 55. I said he'd probably return to 45, but the biggest thing would be that we can expect the shots on goal to come back uh, with a, a healthy hand or whatever it was. And they did to some extent. Uh, he got he bounced back to 202 shots, which is still short of the number he put up in the shots category the two years prior to the season he played with the hand injury. Uh, so you, you just sort of have to look at the difference. He, he has a hand injury. He's down like 70 shots. You can put two and two together, do the math, understand that those factors were related and connected and you shouldn't expect to see them again the following year. Okay, so in that case, here are a couple of players who we had this year, and I guess you're saying it's a bit of a case-by-case basis. So one of the names was Zach Wierenski. He apparently played through a shoulder injury all season. Perhaps that contributed to his meager 37 points in 77 games in his sophomore season. After the Blue Jackets were eliminated, he underwent shoulder surgery, which apparently will take like five to six months to recover. So I feel like it's tough to decide when you should draft Zach Wierenski next year. You'll definitely be able to get him a lot later than you were able to do last September when we all thought, or a lot of people thought, that he was going to be able to continue on that amazing rookie season. I believe you were one of the people who weren't as convinced. But either way, now not only did Zach Wierenski have a bad season, but also like the fact that he's going to take five to six months to recover from this surgery means he's not going to be able to train in the offseason. I'd imagine that must affect him. On the other hand, once he is healthy, we should expect him to be, to be better than he was last year, right? So where do you land on Zach Wierenski for next year with this news coming out? Well, you said it. It was a disappointing year for Zach Wierenski, and I'm not about to call it a win because of this news that he was injured, and that's probably what kept him down, although... Even if he did keep it up, I still was not like I still feel comfortable in what I did say about the that 50, 55 point breakthrough not coming. Uh, so what happened last year with Zach Wierenski? What should we expect? Uh, his percentage of power play share, uh, like how much time he got relative to the rest of his team on the blue line on the power play. Uh, his percent share dropped 10 points from a very nice 63 percent to a pedestrian 52 percent. And it's hard to say that Wierenski did not deserve 
to be bumped down the way he was playing while Wierenski's even strength numbers stayed uh, stayed level despite this injury from the 16-17 season through the 17-18 season. Wierenski's power play shot attempt rate dropped by a small but noticeable amount, but big, very noticeable drops show up in Wierenski's individual scoring chance, individual high-danger shot attempts, and rebounds created rates, all of which were at least cut in half. And if you're thinking, huh, I haven't heard those referenced a whole lot. Where can I find those natural stat trick? dot com tracks those very handily uh, anyway those drops in those chance and rebound created categories showed up in his counting numbers Wierenski was down 11 power play points this year compared to 2016-17 and that is essentially the same as the 10 point difference in his total points scored between the two seasons so Wierenski is really going to need to get his power play role and power play mojo back if he wants 50 points or even 45 points back in his sights Yeah, and I really don't see that happening. Like, Seth Jones has really shown himself to be worthy of that spot as the top power play defenseman. He had such a great year. Why would Columbus be rushing to put Seth Jones behind Zach Wierenski on the depth chart at this point? So, yeah, I feel like definitely Wierenski is going to fall in drafts next year. There's no question about that. And the question is, how late do you wait to get him? At some point, he'll maybe have some value. I don't think he should be a free agent to start the year. But, yeah, it might be tough for him to get, like you say, more than 40. Maybe he could get to 45 points, but it'll be tough if Seth Seth Jones continues with what he did. You know, it's kind of interesting to look back and think about that Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson trade from a few years ago. It seemed at the time, I don't know, it seemed like a smart trade. Now it kind of looks like maybe Seth Jones was a better choice. So Johansson's had a really good playoff, but he had a pretty weak season. I guess we'll get to Nashville in a little bit, but it's interesting to think. I wanted to bring up one more of these season-long injuries that were affecting players. Here's a player that did just fine. Nico Hischier on New Jersey apparently played through all of last season with a chronic wrist slash hand injury, and he still put up 52 points in 82 games as a rookie. So a really solid season for Hischier and he was injured he's now going to have the area immobilized for the next two to four weeks and hopefully that means he'll be even stronger next year in the wrist and hand areas and I guess that's all the more reason to expect him to do even better next year right beyond just the fact that he's a year older and is going to have more NHL experience he's also maybe going to be a little healthier yeah I'm very excited to see what Nico Heischer can accomplish next year he sure played most of the season on the top line with Taylor Hall and then plus Brad or Palmieri depending on Palmieri's health Uh, You wanted me to project like future growth for point, uh, but I am much more comfortable saying we can expect future growth from a healthy sophomore Nico Heischer next year. Just makes the 52 points all the more impressive. Bump them up a little bit on your Calder ballots. Do you think that uh, Taylor Hall, he's going to be playing with a heart trophy winning Taylor Hall next year? Quick take. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so now let's go to another series. Let's go to the Vegas San Jose series. And they're actually playing a game right now, I believe. And the score is one nothing for Vegas in the second period. So there you go. And they're up three games too. So this could be the end of the series. By the time you're listening to this podcast, I want to start in Vegas and talk about the top line, of course, of Marsha So, Riley Smith, and William Carlson. They're all over a point per game going into today. And it's just like insane. Like They continue to produce this one guy, Matt D uh, was the only player in our couple winners playoff pool to take any Vegas players. He got like all three of those guys and he's very likely going to run away with this pool. We did just because he's the only one who took Vegas guys and they are really good and keep scoring. And we keep on discounting them and paying the price. Brian, in previous episodes, you've said that William Carlson is going to regress next year. You like pointed to his extremely high shooting percentage last year. So there's no way he's going to come anywhere close to 40 goals. And you said like maybe even 20 goals will be hard for him to reach. I'm going 
to give you another chance now to like update that prediction now that we've seen he has four goals in nine points in nine playoff games like obviously he wasn't listening to that episode because he's like regression schmagression i'm just going to continue to get a goal every couple of games and like jonathan marsh so is so amazing and playing right with him like do you still have concerns for william carlson i guess let's focus on him first for next year or are you still sticking with 20 goals is going to be a tough achievement for him Well, the thing about William Carlson's playoff performance is that four goals on 30 shots adds up to a shooting conversion rate of 13%, which is a lot healthier and sustainable than Carlson's regular season clip that was up above the 23% mark. So William Carlson has actually regressed in the playoffs, yet kept up a good scoring pace. That is indeed a feather in Carlson's cap going into next year, that his shooting percentage is down to 13%, and he's still scoring. If Carlson can continue to see goal-scoring success at a more believable shooting percentage through more playoff games, that's really, honestly, just a relief, because I'd rather Carlson show me now that he could do it, rather than after we're 30 games into next season, and I'm shaking my head at how wrong I was on him again, even though I'd still be kind of right, because I said the shooting percentage wasn't sustainable, but... He's still scoring the goals. One reason Carlson has been able to manage that trick, that his shooting percentage has been healthier in the playoffs, but his goal scoring pace has been similar. More shots on goal for William Carlson. He averaged just two and a quarter shots per game in the regular season and is now up a smidge above three shots per game now in the playoffs. Keep in mind, this is all just nine games of data, which does not hold up so incredibly well if you want to base your entire argument off of it. But if William Carlson is going to have any hope of continuing to be a 40-goal scorer next year, getting three shots a game is a start, and these nine games so far serve as a pretty good template for how he might be able to accomplish the feat. Hey, we'll add one more data point. He has an assist today on Jonathan Marshall's goal. And hey, maybe William Carlson won't hit 40 goals next year. Maybe he'll, he'll hit 35, but still be a point-per-game guy because he's playing with the great Jonathan Marshall, who is just so, so good. I mean, like, goddamn, like, how good is Jonathan Marshall? We got a tweet from the at fantasy ref who, thanks for listening to our show and including us in your rankings of all the different fantasy projectors. We didn't come up with any actual projections that we released, but you still, I guess, listen to a early season episode and pointed out how wrong we were about Jonathan Marshall. So as of course we deserve to be told, I had him apparently at 45 points and you said 50 points. He ended up with 75 points on the year. I recall, Brian, you did a lot of research into expansion teams and how many points their leading scorers got and based it on that obviously uh that was a silly exercise because the vegas golden knights are no expansion team or not like any other expansion team considering they're very likely going to be or not very likely but they're on pace right now to be going to the conference finals which doesn't happen very often so marsh so clearly amazing and like brian i wonder where he should land in our patron rankings like i said we've ranked up to number 19 marsh so doesn't even have a vote yet Maybe he should be in the same conversation with someone like David Pasternak. Like, he's so, so good. And I feel like these guys playing with him, like Riley Smith and William Carlson, might just be, like, guys we should expect 65, 70 points from just because they're playing with Jonathan Marshall. So at this point, or am I going too crazy? No, it does help them to play with someone as clearly, obviously skilled as Jonathan Marshall. So uh, some of us who watched Vegas during the year were in on that secret, who watched Florida the year before, even got, got some little views in on Tampa the year before that, anyone watching him in the playoffs now, it's clear as day that Marcheseau and William Carlson and Riley Smith and several... Alex Tuck, by the way, has been ridiculous. Like, he's been shocking me with the things he's been doing. Uh, maybe that shows that I wasn't watching Vegas enough in the regular season. Anyway, uh, Marcheseau, first off, I get to say I was closer to his number than you were. 
Elon at the start of the year. So I'll, I'll take a little bit of pride for that, but I was way, way off. Um, I'm wondering, Elon, where Marcia So goes next year in relation to guys like Taylor Hall, Claude Giroux. You asked me about the patron rankings. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say maybe Marcia So goes a smidge below David Pasternak, but it, it could break either way. I think the case can be made for either guy. And again, I think this goes down to how I broke the tie between, who was it? Uh, Palat and Simmons. I'll go for the guy who I'm sure won't be around for my next pick. I feel like Marcia So still could be a, a stealthy pick as people don't believe that the Golden Knights can do this twice. Yeah, well, Jonathan Marshall, I am a believer. I'm going to be maybe drafting him next year too high. I don't know, but I don't want to lose out on all these Vegas guys like I do in every single draft. And I don't want the fantasy ref coming to me and telling me that I keep being wrong about these guys. Next year, I'm hoping to be right. Hopefully not like, you know, over now predicting these Vegas guys. Definitely have to give them some respect. You talk about Alex Tuck. Actually, I wasn't going to bring it up on the show, but since you mentioned him, what happened was David Perron was injured for a while. He's like the second line guy with James Neal and Eric Halla. And so Alex Tuck was playing on the second line was doing great. David Perron came back, couldn't crack the second line because Alex Tuck was doing so well. But now it looks like Perron has been back on the second line and Tuck has fallen down. So it'll be surprising if he can keep up the pace that he put up earlier in the playoffs and watch out for David Perron. Another guy you have to watch out for for next year. Like just so many guys on Vegas that are good. And William Carlson, I'm glad you've backed off a little bit on your projection that he's going to be like not worth, you know, like 20 goal guy. They're a dime a dozen. I think that he is not a dime a dozen, especially in the situation he's on playing on that top line. Okay. And of course the team that might get eliminated today, which is kind of a weird thing to be saying because everyone listening to this already knows the result of this Vegas San Jose game, but whatever the team that Vegas is playing with San Jose Sharks. I want to ask about Logan Couture and Tomas Hurdle, who have been great on their second line with Mikhail Bodker, and they've also both been on the top power play with Pavelski and LeBanc and Brent Burns. So it's been so far 12 points in nine games for Couture, nine points in nine games for Tomas Hurdle before today. We had a chat in our Facebook group recently about if Couture has hit his ceiling or if we still foresee a breakout in his future, which is like surprising, right? Because Couture is not a young guy. The comparable name that came to my mind right away was Joe Pavelski, who was a solid guy on the Sharks for many, many years, but then broke out as a superstar getting like near point per game seasons and it was around this age right like around 28 29 years old so i wonder if maybe logan couture still has that in him or if maybe what we've seen is what we should expect from couture at this point so curious what do you think do you think couture finally is going to break out as a near point per game guy next year after only 61 points last season or do you think that that's very unlikely and couture even though he's having an amazing playoffs he's probably like a 60 65 point guy and that's all he is The thing that most people waiting for a Logan Couture breakout tend to forget is that the breakout, I think, has already happened. Couture averaged a 67-point pace in his age 22 through age 25 seasons. Those spanned from 2011 through to the end of 2015. Now Couture is a newly turned 29-year-old. Isn't getting any younger, right? So you could probably win a lot of bets if you went around asking whether Couture was younger or older than 27 years old because everyone just sees him as this kid waiting in the wings behind Pavelski, behind Thornton, ready to break out. Uh, Anyway, I see a lot of Couture's under-the-hood offensive numbers following the same trajectory as his point totals, peaking in that age 22 to 25 range, then slowly tapering off since then, which is, of course, where we're at now. The one thing that really would change Couture's point scoring and fantasy outlook would be if a spot opened up with one or both of the Joes on line one next year, assuming Thornton re-ups once more in San Jose, of course, or if Couture gets an upgrade uh, to the Bodker hurdle LeBancs that have been flanking him of late if he gets a better line mate. Say Evander Kane sticks around and plays with him on the second line. 
any re-breakout for Couture would almost certainly come from better deployment rather than a sudden burst of growth or maturity. Right. And I think that's what happened with Joe Pavelski, right? Like he got onto that top line consistently with Thornton and with uh, Patrick Marlowe. No, who was that third with the Joes? I guess it was always hard to know who was going to be playing with the Joes after a while. But I guess just playing on the top power play with Thornton top line was enough. Oh, and Brent Burns kind of broke out around that time. So I guess everything came together. So yeah, I agree with you that it would have to be the people around Couture that helped propel him. But I can see it happening. I'm curious, is Tomash Hurdle maybe that guy? Like I said, he's had an amazing playoffs point per game. Overall, though, he had 46 points this season. That tied his career high. He's 24 years old now. Do you think he'll be able to beat that 46 points next season? Like, has this playoffs changed your mind about him? I think we've already talked about Hurdle a few weeks ago, and you said you don't really see him as being an impact guy in fantasy. But maybe this has changed your mind, or maybe you're going to say playoffs, small sample size. I know the drill, Brian. So just let me know. What do you think about Tomas Hurdle? One thing I like about him right now that maybe I didn't think about him in terms of at the start of the season is he's been on that top power play now for a while. That's a great spot to be in. And if he can stay there all next season, I feel like, and if he's on the second line with, with Logan Couture, I feel like that's a pretty good recipe for someone to at least be able to break his 46-point career high, at least break 50. I have had pretty good success projecting Tomas Hurdle at 45 points. So I'm going to keep doing that until he shows me otherwise through an entire regular season. 45 points has essentially been his pace for the last three seasons. Hurdle's now entering his age 25 season in 2018-19. And sure, it's possible that playing with a great centerman and maybe that elusive better third piece for his line, uh, those factors together can top uh, can help him top 50 points. And that plus making use of that newfound top power play time that you've mentioned, assuming that it sticks. Uh, So again, we're looking to a deployment situation rather than a player breaking out situation. Hurdle seems like when you watch him, he seems like a guy who's capable of beating the 50 point mark. He just has not like he's run out of uh, laurels to rest on, you know, when he was up and coming. Now he's 25. We've seen a few years of 45 points. So I'm going to need to see a bump in deployment plus an actual improvement in his play to believe that he can get there. All right, so how about this, Brian? Can we land, can we at least agree with Tomas Hurdle? Fine, like, don't, like, reach for him as a 50-plus point guy, but I think he's at the point now where if, like, at the start of the year, if he's somehow still a free agent for you and you're seeing, like, points at the beginning, don't wait on him. Like, grab him because he seems to have the pedigree and he, like, he seems to be in a good place right now. He's coming off a good playoffs. He's on a good line. He's on the top power play. Like, I wouldn't wait too long on him. I think he's the potential guy. Like, you know, like, with this fantasy ref who was telling us that we were so wrong about Marsha, so one thing that got me thing is who are we going to be wrong? like there's going to be someone who we're wrong about next year right who we're going to say don't worry about this guy he's not more than a 50 point guy and then he's going to end up being like a 70 point guy and we're going to look like idiots i don't know who it's going to be obviously but i think hurdle could be in the conversation as one of these people but you know obviously you could give lots of reasons why that won't be the case because otherwise you wouldn't be ranking him as a 45 point guy and i thought that going into the 17 18 season he was a, a last round pick in a few of my leagues in an early free agency pickup thinking that hey this could be the year i'm still seeing this could be the year again in 2018 19 it's just a, a little less likely with every passing year with every other 45 point performance that he puts up That is fair. And by the way, since our last show, now we remember we listed a whole bunch of goalies who had been pulled in the first round. We could add a couple more goalies to that list. Martin Jones got pulled a couple times during this playoff series versus Vegas. And like, I guess we had to expect that was going to happen. If all these great goalies were getting pulled at least once, Martin Jones had to join the list eventually. Even Pekka Rene has now been pulled twice for Nashville. And yeah, he's been having a rough go of it versus the Jets. 
actually, I don't really feel like talking much about goalies moving forward. I know you heard my dog in the background. I'm just going to keep going there. Yeah, like uh, this season's been crazy with goalies. We've talked about that so, so much. Now you add Jones and Rene as goalies that you couldn't depend on game in, game out to not blow up your save percentage, I guess, in playoff pools if you're counting that kind of thing. And yeah, for next year, just once again, repeat the advice that I would not be ranking or drafting a goalie high. Like Connor Hellebuck is looking so great, but like, you know, Vasilevsky looked so great at the start of this year and he was even struggling a bit at the end of the season. And now like Vasilevsky, I guess he's going to the next round. We'll see how he does. But just the whole thing with goalies just is so crazy how many goalies are struggling at least for a game or two in these small sample size of the playoffs. But since we're on Nashville, let's talk about some guys. I actually have three guys on Nashville I want to ask you about all in very different situations, all different reasons why I want to bring these guys up. And those are Ryan Johansson, Roman Yosi, and Austin Watson. So I'll start with Ryan Johansson, who had a pretty quiet year. He actually had a pretty weak year overall, 54 points in 79 games for a guy who, you know, a couple seasons back, people were looking at him as like maybe close to a sure 70 point guy. Definitely didn't happen this year. Like again, like I said, 54 points only, but now Ryan Johansson, 11 points in 11 playoff games so far. So I our patron Peter in our Facebook group, he was saying how he's so frustrated because he had Ryan Johansson during the regular season and he didn't draft him in the playoffs just because he was so frustrated with how lackluster he was. And now he's like mad at himself seeing Ryan Johansson producing for one of his opponents in a playoff pool. You know, that's the life of playing fantasy hockey, right? But what do you think about Ryan Johansson now for next year? Is he a 54-point guy now? Is he a point-per-game guy right now? I know he's not the latter. Is he somewhere in the middle? What do you think yeah. about this playoffs? Yeah, I still like he seems he's a really talented player, right? When he was in Columbus, he had that big 70 point season, and we thought that was something he could repeat. I'm not sure how high his ceiling can remain based on how he's been in the last couple years of regular season play, never quite blowing anyone away. He did add 61 points two years ago, the year before that, 34 points in 42 games. So like 55, 60 point range seems pretty comfortable. For him, anybody who thought based on his playoff or anyone, uh, let me rephrase, anyone who's thinking that his current playoff performance means a big breakout is coming next year uh, should be reminded that he had 13 points in 14 playoff games last year before being injured uh, before the Predators finished their playoff run of being defeated in the Stanley Cup finals. And that did not lead to uh, huge new heights in the regular season. So again, I'm not expecting that, but I do expect uh, hopefully a quality 55, 60 point guys, not a lot of goals. He gets his, uh, he makes his bread and butter with assists. Yeah, for sure. So he definitely takes a hit in fantasy just because he's a center and he doesn't shoot a lot and he doesn't score a lot. Like you say, a lot of assists. You want to hope for a power play assist. I could even see him being a 65 point guy as like a best case. But yeah, I agree with you. Like those days of us thinking he had the potential to be a point per game guy seem to be behind us. Or maybe he'll be our Jonathan Marshall so for next year. Who knows? Uh, then we have Roman Yosi, who put up a great regular season, especially for a defenseman, 53 points in 75 games. But he only has two assists in 11 playoff games so far. Like what has happened? Like he must be killing a lot of people in their playoff pools that probably reached for Roman Josie as a player on a team that people thought were going to go far and you thought at least like while he played he'd be getting his typical like over half point per game it hasn't happened is this a sign like should we be concerned about Roman Josie because of this going into fantasy drafts for next year or do you think this is just an aberration 11 games whatever like why one big concern and I think a lot of people's concern is that PK Subban has been so good. He's actually gotten the majority of the power play time between the two during the playoffs. Maybe PK has now usurped Roman Yosi as the top guy in Nashville. And that's going to hurt Yosi also for next season. Or do you think he'll still be a reliable 50 plus point defenseman? Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. We actually had this conversation at some point during the regular season when Yosi was struggling 
but Yossi has not been struggling in these playoffs. Yes, in points, sure, but he's still got four shots per game. Uh, no goals, unfortunately. Normally on his usual like 5-6% shooting percentage, that would be good for two goals. So you can sort of credit him with those. Uh, Roman Yossi's still getting 25-plus minutes per night. And he is also hurting not just from a poor individual shooting percentage, but just a 5% on ice shooting percentage through the playoffs so far. So I don't see this as the end of Roman Yossi. I don't think his play, like, sorry, I don't think his play is very well reflected in his point totals. That said, I have no idea if PK Subban is going to be the guy from here on forward. So that's going to be the thing to watch through the rest of the playoffs and into training camp next year. And then we have Austin Watson, who is a fantasy nobody since forever, but he now somehow has eight points in 11 playoff games. He's been playing on the third line with Nick Benino and Colton Sissons. Is there anything here with Austin Watson that now we have to add him to our watch list for drafts next year? Or is this just like this happens every year with somebody? Don't give him a second thought. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here. Five goals on 24 shots for a 21% shooting percentage. I mean, I'll give him some credit, like I did Jake DeBrusque, for being able to score five playoff goals. That's great. But uh, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not about to extrapolate this to be any kind of future regular season success. Yeah, at least with Jake DeBrusque, he's only 21 years old. He's playing on the second line. I definitely prefer DeBrusque over Sissons for next year. I can see myself drafting DeBrusque at the end of a draft. I don't think I'm going to have Colton Sissons or whatever we talk about, Austin Watson, whatever. Same thing. I wouldn't have either of those guys on my draft list for next year. I guess it's Ron Nashville. Also, Kevin Fiala, he was scratched for the 2-1 win in game four. And then he had less than 12 minutes of time on ice yesterday in the 6-2 game five loss. So I don't know what's going on with Kevin Fiala. He had that stretch during the regular season where everyone was adding him. He was getting points almost every game. You know, he cooled down afterwards, ended up with 48 points in 80 games overall. I wonder, like, if uh, Kevin Fiala, is he good? Like, is he someone that people should be drafting in fantasy? Like, is he going to break out next year? Or, like, I feel like it's pretty concerning if he's getting healthy scratched, though it could always be that he's not being, you know, quote-unquote, completely healthy scratched. Maybe it's somewhat injury-related, and we'll only find out what's wrong with Kevin Fiala once the Nashville Predators are eliminated. That's the big question. To me, he doesn't seem like the weakest link in the lineup, like their 13th best forward. And you can see his his time on ice really tailed off uh, in the last two games that he did appear. And he had 12 and a half minutes and then just 12 minutes compared to 13, 14, 15, 16, 20 uh, in earlier games. His ice time has been all over the map in the playoffs this year. Uh, I'm not like, you know, he's still probably 45, 50 point guy unless he can work his way into a really productive top six in Nashville Uh, not about to really get so down on him not knowing if he might be scratched because of injuries yeah it seems like he's pretty solidly uh, locked in as a top six guy or at least he was for most of this year if you if you recall that line with Craig Smith Fial and Kyle Turris they were really solid for a really good stretch and then they went quiet so we'll see I I agree with you around 55 I'm sorry, 45, 50 points for next year seems right for Fiala. Okay, let's end the show with one very surprising new free agent that people might might not be aware of, but it looks like Ilya Kovalchuk plans to come back to the NHL next year. He's officially become an unrestricted free agent and has already been in negotiations with the New York Rangers, which is kind of weird because the Rangers are rebuilding. So why would they sign Ilya Kovalchuk unless it's to help the young players or something weird like that? But anyways, for some context for maybe new hockey fans, Ilya Kovalchuk, he's 35 years old now, and he was a huge star in the NHL. He had multiple greater than point per game seasons. He was like, you know, a big star in the league, top round draft pick in a lot of fantasy leagues. 
but eventually he ditched the New Jersey Devils after the 2012-13 season and went to play for Scott St. Petersburg in the KHL. And over the last five seasons, as being a 30-plus year old, Kovalchuk has been really good in the KHL. He's been over a point-per-game guy, so I don't know what that's worth to you in terms of converting that to how good he'd be in the NHL, but he's still been good. He's clearly not over the hill from the numbers he's been able to put up in the KHL if you think those numbers are reliable. I know there's all this stuff about, especially with this team, Scott St. Petersburg, and how they're very stacked. And But anyway, we're not going to talk about the KHL. Curious to know, Brian, like how fast should people in Dynasty Leagues who are able to add players right now even to their team how fast should these people be rushing to add Ilya Kovalchuk if they can get him and then for those of us who have to wait until the draft to get him how high would you go to get Ilya Kovalchuk on your fantasy team obviously it'll depend a lot on where he goes maybe if he goes to the Rangers you'd have to be concerned but like just in general just so I could just get a sense of where your headspace is at is he going to come in and be a superstar like I wonder like you know you look at someone like Alex Radulov who came recently from the KHL he put up 54 points for the Habs last year then 72 points for the Stars this year after coming from the KHL of course, Radulov is four years younger than Kovalchuk, so that's you know a point to maybe not say Kovalchuk can do that. But at the same time, Alex Radulov was never the superstar that Ilya Kovalchuk was and maybe still is. So yeah, what's your take on Ilya Kovalchuk to close out the show? It's a really tough one. First, we need to know where he's going to end up. Like you said, that's going to be a very key factor. If he, It seems like a done deal that he's in the NHL, but of course, we'll have to wait out and see. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk, you mentioned, Elon, his most recent KHL season, 63 points in 53 games. How about Artemi Panarin had 62 points in 54 games before coming over? Again, there, there's an age difference here and also an NHL experience thing here. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov, uh, seems like another reasonable comparison. Like he came to the NHL this year, uh, 66 points in 53 games with St. Petersburg ska. And there was hype around him. And I, I feel like Radulov, Dadanov, Panarin, uh, Panarin you went like way deep, way at the end of a draft uh, because no one knew who he was. Then Dadanov went a little sooner, I think, because people were, were, were keen to what Panarin had did and maybe Dadanov could do the same thing. Uh, these are all reasonable comparisons to try and figure out where you should draft Ilya Kovalchuk because uh, it's the similar situation. Although he has NHL experience, which helps, he also is older, which doesn't. Yeah, and also the fact that he's Ilya Kovalchuk. He's like, I feel like on another level in my head. Like, obviously he'll come back and maybe disappoint me if I'm too excited about him. But yeah, I feel like that would be a very exciting guy to be able to, to draft, especially late in a draft. He could get Ilya Kovalchuk there. I'll be really interested to see once all the projections come out for next season, how highly he'll be ranked. And obviously we'll discuss him again once he actually lands on a team and we can start guessing like who his line mates will be, if he's going to be on the power play, things like that. Okay, Brian. This was a really fun show. I've really missed doing this. I had a lot of fun prepping today, coming up with what questions I would ask you. It was really fun to be able to be like, what am I wondering about in fantasy? And then to know that later tonight, I'm going to be able to find out everything I'm curious about from the Fantasy Hockey Robot. So thank you for doing this great show with me. I had a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone, of course, for listening to the show. We really appreciate it, especially in the summertime. You're not even in leagues, but I think you who are listening are the ones that are going to have a leg up for next year because you got to think about this stuff all year round. There's lots of things happening, especially in the playoffs. We have to decide what we're supposed to believe in, what we're supposed to not. And I think we've gotten a lot of things to at least chew over for the next couple of weeks before our next episode. If you disagree with anything or if you want to ask us any follow-up questions, we always love if you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'll definitely get back to you. And uh, we'd also, of course, appreciate a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show, if you'd be so kind. It's free and it helps us out. So why not? But with that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. 
All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks again for everyone for joining us in the chat room, and we will talk with all of you in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Son. Also, by the way, now Vegas is up to nothing, so it's looking like the Sharks are in some trouble. Okay, bye everyone. Always love it when you throw in just a last minute update to a game that will be over by the time 95% of people listen.